Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Rights Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. With me today is Catherine Kinsey, our Education and Events Coordinator. Hi, Catherine. You're Hello. not frozen. Yeah, still, still breathing. <laughs> For now. Uh, so it's been a pretty crazy week here. Uh, our office has been closed a couple days uh, on account of the weather. Our state government yeah. has been closed. Um, which is good considering our cast of characters now in the, in the right. governor's mansion right. and the attorney general's <laughs> office. Um, so last week we left off talking about the, uh, well, it was, yeah, it was only last week after the March for yeah. Life. It seems like uh, a year ago. Um, <laughs> we are talking about the Covington kids and the March for Life and how badly that was bungled. Um, and we talked about how that, you know, that really didn't deserve to be a news story in the first place. But this week we have a whole fresh outrage, but this time it's about an actually newsworthy thing. Yes, finally. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you probably have heard, hopefully you've heard, about uh, the new law in the state of New York, which basically uh, legalizes abortion through all nine months of pregnancy. And you might have heard about a similar effort to do that in Virginia that failed in the committee, mm -hmm. uh, as well as uh, the Virginia governor's comments about um, basically the infanticide of, uh, passive infanticide of right. disabled, uh, disabled babies. So um, we're going to unpack all of that. Uh, but I think really importantly, we have to point out that these laws in New York and in Virginia, they didn't really change anything, did they? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe, you know, is that newsworthy? Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously it is. But, you know, shockingly, it's kind of, a lot of people don't know, it's kind of already the case in, because of Roe versus Wade, right? Yeah, and uh, the reason that is is because so few people hear about the companion case that was decided on the same day, right. uh, 19, or January 22nd, 1973, and that case was Doe versus Bolton, mm -hmm. case out of Georgia. And so uh, Roe versus Wade has set up a trimester system, said in the first semester, uh, excuse me, trimester, you can't regulate abortion at all in any way really. In the second trimester, you can regulate some sort of things like where can abortion take place and whatnot said uh, you can ban abortion in the third trimester as long as there's an exception in the law for uh, the life or the health of the mother. Mm -hmm. Now, apparently this elaborate framework is in the Constitution somewhere. I'm yeah. still reading. Have you found it yet? <laughs> I have not. I have not. We're going to get Sherlock on the case, and yeah. he's going to deduce uh, where in the Constitution this uh, trimester framework and everything yeah. is located. But the key there if you were listening, was it wasn't just the life of the mother, which, by the way, all pro-life laws have always had that exception, but the health of the mother. What does health mean? So in Doe versus Bolton, this case decided on the same day as Roe versus Wade, uh, it was an abortion case, the Supreme Court defined health. And it said it can relate to all factors, uh, emotional, um, Psych, you know, psychology, right. uh, the timing, the pregnancy, the family dynamic, like basically anything is health. Right. Anything can possibly impact your health. So therefore, when you put the two cases together, Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton, Supreme Court said you can ban abortion in the third trimester as long mm -hmm. as you allow it for every reason. Right. 
which is that even logical? It's in the Constitution. Oh, okay. It doesn't need to be logical. It's in there. Okay. I've been told by these judges. Um, and so these judges did a, uh, a real disservice to logic, yep. the actual Constitution, common sense, it's civil discourse. Uh, because what they did there by separating the cases out, um, and the media didn't really do a good job reporting on it, uh, the, the instant the decision was made. Well, now let's... <laughs> Let, let's be a little nice to them today. So there, there's a, there's a great, uh, it's called SCOTUS blog that covers the Supreme Court. They do a great job, but okay. it's really hard. So Supreme Court releases these decisions on uh, specific days, and they put them in these boxes, mm -hmm. and the reporters have to run and get the box, get this big case, <laughs> run out, scan through it in like 30 seconds, and then report on what happened in this right. case, which is it's difficult enough when you have an hour or two to digest the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But the problem is they went with this original reporting in the first 30 seconds mm -hmm. and they've stuck with it for 46 years now. Yeah. And there are millions of Americans who have no idea how abortion works as a policy issue. And so uh, abortion since 1973 has been legal essentially through all nine months for any reason. There are some states, like including Michigan, that have some sort of uh, laws intact that deal with uh, viability, and there's some uh, on the books. It looks like it may be banned, um, but really, if you get a you know if you try to convict a doctor for a late term abortion, the doctor can just say, "Oh, it's health reason," yeah. and you, you can't successfully prosecute them in, in really any state. There are a few states that are banning abortion after 20 weeks, and these are working their way through the court system. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, they'll hit the Supreme Court soon. Um, but outside of those recent examples, there's really nothing. Right. The one time that we in Michigan were able to prosecute a doctor for an, uh, a late-term abortion was he admitted, basically admitted to lying on medical forms. And so oh. he did something wrong. And there so we were able to get him and say, oh, see, it's not health because he admitted he lied. Yeah. And so if the doctor would have been a little bit more uh, intelligent, yeah. he could have totally gotten away with it. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, People were just shocked about this New York and Virginia case, and probably the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, it's just depressing that more people aren't aware of what the actual law is, and they're surprised, like this is some right. sort of new advance or a new level in the abortion debate, but this is where the abortion movement has been for right. 46 years, Catherine. Like this, this shock should have been this ongoing thing for 46 years. Right. But we can't complain too hard because now people right. are aware of it. You know, we've tried for 46 years to help people be aware of it. Mm -hmm. It's hard when you're fighting, you know, we mentioned the media, but academia, mm -hmm. law schools, um, every level of entertainment, um, even politicians on both sides of the aisle. Right. You know, it, it took Donald Trump in a presidential debate to actually bring up the extreme nature of Hillary Clinton's views on abortion, yeah. which are shared by pretty much every politician endorsed by Planned Parenthood, mm -hmm. which is abortion should be legal for any reason without question of the doctor through all nine months of pregnancy, right up. And through the birth process, they all, mm -hmm. a lot of them have supported partial birth abortion. That's where the baby is halfway born and they're still taking the life of the child. Right. So... Glad everyone's awake now. Yeah. Time to get to work. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's it. Podcast over. <laughs> Eight minutes. We're done. Um, 
No, there's a lot more to, I think, to go through in this. And so one segue, we talked about, you know, partial birth abortion is the comments by the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. I think I'm saying his last name right. Yeah. Um, he's a pretty new governor. Um, he said, and they were talking about this new law in Virginia on the radio, and he somehow segued into an example of a disabled child who was uh, somehow born alive, um, and uh, it's up to the parents if they want to resuscitate or, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that offended a lot of people because what he's basically saying there is, uh, you know, a, a disabled person is of less value than a born person. Right. Which, um, that's what he said. Yeah. And he said, you know, he he repeated himself, basically. He realized, I think, the consequence of what he said, and he didn't back away from it. No. And, uh, you know, he's a doctor. Yeah, which is uh, which is scary and sad on a on a, on a whole other level, um, but that really kind of brings up you know that that's not a thing new either. If you look at you know history, in uh, the nineteen eighties, early nineteen eighties, there's a case out of Indiana called the Baby Doe case, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Are you, Catherine? A little bit. A little bit. It's on our website. You know, it's actually one of those pages that gets a lot of attention because there's not a lot of places to get the information out there outside mm-hmm. of news coverage back in the day. Um, so the basics of this case out of Indiana was uh, this child was born, and the child had Down syndrome, and he also had a defect where his uh, esophagus wasn't connected to his stomach. Mm-hmm. There was like uh, you know a layer of tissue blocking it. And so what this child needed, uh, you know, to be able to eat and, and whatnot, um, was just a simple surgery, um, I shouldn't say simple, but you know, a, a surgery, right. not incredibly complicated, not uh, transplant, you know, just, just to connect his esophagus and mm-hmm. his life could continue right. normally. And the parents um, disagreed because they didn't want to deal with a disabled child. Yeah. And this drew a lot of attention, um, uh, changes in law, court cases, it was a, one of those original viral controversies. I can only imagine what it would have been like if we had social media back yeah. in, uh, I think, 1982 or 1983 is when it happened. Um, and so there is this ugly legacy that the, the governor of Virginia is not talking about anything new. Right. There's even more examples, you know, in recent memory. In 1996, we were talking about the partial birth abortion debate, which, you know, uh, any reasonable person would have to admit is infanticide because mm-hmm. why not just complete the birth of the child after a three-day procedure? Yep. They try to argue, oh, well, this is to, you know, this is for women's health reasons, but if a, you know, if a woman's yeah. life was in danger, A, you wouldn't do a three-day procedure, and B, um, you would just complete the birth of the child rather yeah. than, you know, um, stabbing the child in the head and sucking their brains out. Yeah. You know, uh, to even describe a partial birth abortion turns people off. And so... The idea that this is not somehow an infanticide, um, it is, right. plain and simple. Yeah. Now, during the uh, first debate on it federally, it was in the mid-1990s that the pro-life movement became aware that this was a procedure that was being used mm-hmm. um, by abortionists. And so in 1996, there was an attempt to ban partial birth abortion federally, which uh, President Bill Clinton, Mr. Safe, Legal, and Rare, vetoed. <laughs> Um, you know, safe, yeah. legal, and rare was always just a talking point. It was never yeah. actually meant to be taken serious <laughs> other than to cover their 
real views about abortions. We're online months of pregnancy. We don't care how many are performed. Right. Um, during the debate on partial birth abortion, uh, Rick Santorum was a senator at the time, and Barbara Boxer was a senator at the time. And Santorum was talking kind of almost back and forth with Barbara Boxer. And Barbara Boxer said that the, the baby's rights only begin uh, when the child is brought home from the hospital. Yeah, which, uh, I mean, you've probably seen the, the magical birth canal video. It's like, now it's oh, the... Oh, the funny video, yeah. <laughs> now it's the magical car trip home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the magical wheelchair ride down uh, from, uh, you know, the, the third floor maternity ward down to, I guess, the lobby. Yeah. When, they, when, the, when the child leaves the doors of the lobby, yeah. human, human beingness is somehow bestowed yeah. upon them yep. by the building itself. Yeah. The building is the creator in the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> I guess. Um, the weird things that we have to go through, Catherine. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's another recent example. Um, you know, uh, this whole problem of leaving children uh, to die and not treating them is, has been a serious policy issue. You know, we have legislation in Michigan to stop that called our Born Alive Infant Protection Law. Um, there's a, a kind of newsworthy case out of Illinois. There was a hospital in Oaklawn, Illinois. I think it has a different name now, but then mm -hmm. it was Christ Hospital in Oaklawn, Illinois. Uh, was inducing, was, you know, doing abortions by inducing labor and then just leaving these born alive children just to die in a soiled utility closet. Oh, wow. Have you heard about that case? I had not heard about okay. that. Okay. Um, all right. A little education here. And Jill Stanek, who is a pro-life speaker who used to have a pro-life news blog, was the nurse who discovered, you know, this was oh, yeah. happening and her, you know, uh, I guess she spent time with these infants as they died because that's all that she could do. They wow. refused to treat them like any other patient. Um, oh, my goodness. You know, and... So in, uh, Illinois went ahead and tried to write a law saying you can't just leave children to die. Yeah. You know, I think we Western Hopefully civilization not. kind of fixed that, you know, yeah. about 1900 years ago. 18, uh, right. But uh, apparently not. Um, and uh, during this debate in the Illinois legislature, the leader, uh, one of the people leading the opposition against this Born Alive Infant Protection Law was then state legislator mm -hmm. Barack Obama. Yeah. And uh, so uh, when Barack Obama ran for president in 2008, you know, he tried to make an end 2012, um, tried to make an issue of it, but a lot of people just had their ears shut, mm -hmm. and didn't want to report on the fact that, you know, Barack Obama thought leaving a, you know, passive euthanasia of a baby. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Should be totally legal, totally accepted. <sighs> There's just no words for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's an even better example, uh, even more recently than that. So uh, a couple of years after Barack Obama's election, there was a journal article going around uh, basically saying uh, that infanticide should be legal as a post-birth abortion. And this, uh, this one got a lot of attention, but apparently not enough because people are still shocked that this view is out there. Right. There is a, a very well-known uh, professor at Princeton named Peter Singer. 
and uh, he's a bioethicist. And one of his ethical principles is you could kill a child before, say, age one, because the child has no awareness of okay. his surroundings. Wow. So if the child is disabled, you don't want to take care of the child, you have a little ba newborn baby, kill it. Go ahead. Wow. Totally, that should be totally moral and fine. His principle is, well, the child doesn't know the difference, so just get rid of the child if you want. doesn't matter. Wow. Just the arguments here. He just... goes, He goes. I'm assuming he shows up at class, teaches his yep. shtick every day, gets paid, um, and, well, I mean, th th so it, you have to say that this is, in some sense, is a mainstream view. If you can yeah. have a, a professorship at a university like that and continue talking about this all the time, um, getting invited in media and debates and whatnot, you have to say that in some sense that's a mainstream view. So we have people in this country who believe in fantasides okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's clear. So uh, don't be surprised. Yeah. Um, start to do something about it, you know. Mm -hmm. Start to expose this. Yeah. How this person is employed by Princeton, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where people get fired because they have unorthodox views, right. um, which could be used against pro-life people uh, just as easy as it could against anyone else. But at the same time, when you're saying that you can kill a baby, That's society has to far. have a yeah. line somewhere. Yeah. Um, and of course, our only arguable line that we would say is every human being deserves the right to life. Yeah. Pretty simple line. Pretty difficult issue to deal with uh, in some situations. Of course, you know, uh, taking care of a disabled child is not easy, but, um, you know, purpose of civilization is not an yes. easy, carefree life. Right. It's to uh, protect and defend the people and the next generation. Right. And so in some sense, this is a anti-civilization that we have yeah. where uh, your value in life is determined by your abilities and your use to the to the whole mm -hmm. <sighs> well uh, it's been kind of remarkable in the office you know we've been closed so we haven't been able to to do a lot um, of computer issues and all sorts of fun things with uh, <laughs> weather um, but we've been bombarded by people who want to volunteer yeah um, who want to donate, get involved, um, speak out, but really people who want to volunteer who just think this is, you know, enough is enough. Right. And so if you're listening out there and um, you're not involved with your local Right to Life of Michigan affiliate, if you're not actively involved in this issue, um, you know. Take that opportunity, yeah. Yeah, now's as good a time as any. Um, because what the, what the other side truly believes is that abortion should be legal through all nine months of pregnancy. Right. Now, here's a kind of interesting discussion. So um, I did a uh, radio show a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, it was a good radio show, but just out of kind of speculation, one of the hosts asked, um, is there any middle ground on abortion? Is there any compromise yeah. that can be reached? Um, would you say there's any compromise or middle ground on the issue of abortion? Uh, no, I don't think there can be. No. Um, you know, and everyone wants to be uh, nice and agreeable. We want to avoid right. uh, confrontation and, and intense disagreement. Mm -hmm. And I understand all that. Um, and, you know, practically a lot of people 
on the abortion issue, you would not say are 100% pro-life or 100% pro-abortion. So they are the kind of, you know, right. true mushy middle. But when you look at it from a basic principle and why the abortion movement doesn't come out and say that they support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy um, too often is because they're, it's a very simple logic to it. Either every human being has an enable right to life, Right. Or they or don't. They don't. Mm -hmm. There is no, if, if there's some sliding scale that some human beings have an inalienable right to life and some don't, well, then it's not really an unalienable right. right. It's <laughs> right. entirely alienable, at which point it's not even really a right, yeah. as we consider it in how our Declaration of Independence frames it. Um, and so uh, the second from the from the pro-abortion standpoint, you know, the second that you concede that an unborn child has any right to life at all, their entire foundation uh, comes crumbling down because that's really their view is, um, and I talk about it this way, you know, we can't see the unborn child so we can pretend they're not a real person. Yeah. Um, after they're born, then then you can pretend they're a real person. Or in the instance of partial birth abortion, you know, the American people don't see those partial birth abortions happening, so they can pretend it's just like right. any other abortion. Right. Um, but when we see a child, um, we instinctively know that's a human being, and, mm -hmm. you know, we can't hurt that child. Or at least most of us do. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, maybe not the governor of uh, Maybe not the governor of Virginia. Yeah. Um, and so when you're looking at the issue from their standpoint, they have to write out any limit in the law. The second they introduce any limit of all of any kind at 20 weeks, the third trimester, um, for any like the laws banning abortion based on the basis of the child has Down syndrome, mm -hmm. um, which majority Americans support, by the way. Right. But Planned Parenthood says, no, uh, you should be able to target a child with Down syndrome for abortion. Um, they have to because there is no other right. logical basis uh, for them to go on other than people when they see the child instinctively know and so that's kind of where they do the cutoff line. Right. Now the most logical argument for abortion, um, have you ever heard of the violinist argument? I think so. It's too long and ridiculous to go through in this podcast. <laughs> that would take a whole podcast to explain it but basically the argument is well if someone's attached to me you know I have bodily autonomy, I'm bigger and stronger, I don't have to care for them so I can let them die. Right. Um, or actively take their life in the mm -hmm. case of an abortion. Um, and so now that that argument makes uh, kind of a very cold logical sense. Right. Um, but, you know, for instance, if the child is, uh, you know, they do surgery for spina bifida, mm -hmm. um, where they will, you know, kind of like almost like a C-section, they'll take the child out, they will... Uh, do the surgery, and then put the child back in the womb. You know, for a person who accepts the idea of bodily autonomy, as soon as that child is out, and maybe, right. you know, 24, 30 weeks old, uh, if, if the doctor suddenly just took a scalpel and cut the child right. up and killed the child, it nothing wrong it. happened yeah. there, according to that view. Right. Um, and so... But but any person who is seeing that would be utterly horrified because mm -hmm. you see the child, 
a fully formed yeah. child there, um, and it's impossible to deny their humanity. Right. And so uh, you can't really adopt any sort of limit. It's you know, it's either every human being has human rights, or human rights are just a f convenient figment of our imagination. Yeah. And so um, that's why we're one hundred percent pro life. Yeah. That sums it up. <laughs> so, did you see any interesting um, articles or, or coverage of the Virginia or New York stories that kind of caught your eye? Interesting. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, besides all of them, all but... of them. Yeah, I don't know. I just was most interested by the fact that you know they went back to him and basically were saying, you know, are you sure this is what you meant? He's like, yeah, I know that is what I mean. I have no regrets. I think is what he said. <sighs> That's bad. I like the, my favorite response was the Washington Post ran a story um, about the Virginia legislator who was caught on tape oh, yes. explaining that this law could be used through all nine months of pregnancy. Um, and instead of the story being about her bill, the story was uh, Republicans, Republicans seize <laughs> on her comments, Republicans pounce on her comments to, uh, um, this poor lady who breastfeeds her daughter on the floor <laughs> and is the first Asian-American member of the Virginia House of Delegates. Um, it read like a, puff, like a campaign yeah. press release, not an actual news story. Right. And then, I don't know if you noticed, but um, so we posted that on our Right to Life Michigan Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And then I saw something, people were commenting, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. I saw something on Twitter. So Washington Post went back and stealth edited the story. Really? Completely changed it, and so it, <laughs> they went from a campaign puff piece to like an almost actual news story about the controversy. Oh, okay. They didn't post. They didn't post anything that's saying they changed it in any way. Wow. Stealth editing. Weird. Yeah, and so I talk about how um, Planned Parenthood and other groups they gaslight their own supporters into yeah. believing things that aren't true or doubting. You know, you can show someone's. I'm sure maybe you've been in this situation, you know, say Planned Parenthood does, uh, you know, 3% of what they do is abortions. And you show this person the annual report, they say, no, look at their own statistics. And they disbelieve yeah. Planned Parenthood's own annual report. Yeah. Like we cooked up some forgery <laughs> in our in our forgery department. and uh, This is their, their data. <laughs> I know, their own data. Um, I had that happen with... Uh, so someone, in one common line that people are trying to use to defend these laws is like, oh, well, all these late-term abortions are for health defects. And I'm like, no. Yeah. The Guttmacher <laughs> Institute, which used to be part of Planned Parenthood and it still gets money from them, mm -hmm. um, wrote a study that said, you know, why do women have abortions after 20 weeks? And they identified these five reasons that said most women have abortions. All mm -hmm. of them are elective. Like they waited yeah. too long or there's a domestic dispute or um, they had, they were young and had a bunch of children. Like reasons that most people would, would not even agree that a first trimester abortion, a majority would oppose. Right. Um, and those are the reasons women have late-term abortions. Most women. The article yeah. says most women. Yeah. And I was, I was talking about someone with that. And they're like, no, no, this study says this. I'm like, no, it says right there, <laughs> quote, most women. Yeah. That, well, you're saying that. No, it I says it. Most of those two words are right next to each other in yeah. the study. <sighs> and so uh, apparently, you know, the Washington Post can now, I don't know, they can claim, oh, we didn't write that. See, the yeah. story says this. It's always said this. <laughs> oh, my uh, goodness. Feels, sometimes it feels like you're living in 1984. Um, <laughs> 
not just stuck in time, <laughs> but stuck in that stuck in that book yes. by George Orwell. Yep. <sighs> well, um, we're gonna see how much this news story uh, stays in the news and if it'll be used by campaign issue. Yeah. If you're a pro-life politician and you happen to be listening to this podcast, <laughs> and you have not at any point pointed out that your opponent believes that uh, partial birth abortion is okay or abortion in the ninth month is okay. Um, PSA, start talking about it. Here's a tip. Like, the, you know, most, the vast majority of Americans do not support that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then why don't you follow it up and explain to people, and oh, by the way, the Supreme Court decision that also causes all this trouble this. from Supreme Court nominations like Brett Kavanaugh on down, mm -hmm. Roe versus Wade, says that abortion is legal throughout nine months of pregnancy. Yes. Why don't we get rid of this precedent and let states, like, legislate? Yeah. And pro-abortion people can't argue that New York didn't legislate their views that abortion yeah. should be legal for any reason. They're all nine pregnancy. Mm -hmm. All right. That's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again in two weeks. Have a warmer weekend.